This is Who She Knows, a podcast produced by She Knows Media. And this is your host, Elisa Camahort-Page, Chief Community Officer for She Knows Media. Today, we'll be digging in the dirt to learn about gardening and the expanding movement, uh, really, of growing our own food and, I guess, returning to being individual producers of the things we put on our table. It's kind of incredible that this idea seems exotic at all. I mean, once upon a time, that was the only way for humans to survive was to move from hunting and gathering to actually cultivating um, and eating what we planted. Uh, But we're going to talk a little bit today about why so many more people seem to be getting into that and some of the um, complexities of doing it that you might not even be thinking about. So first joining us is Katie Allison Grandju of the blogs AVerySmallHouse.com and SilkyChickensOnline.blogspot.com. She is many things, including the mother of five and the keeper of backyard chickens. Katie, so great to have you on Who She Knows. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much, Lisa. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I've been, I mean, we've known each other online for many years. And I think back yes. back when we first knew each other, you were still with HGTV. Is that right? That's right. I spent five years with, with HGTV. It was a great gig. Right. And, and that must have been, um, you know, right at the outset of this trend, I think, in HGTV. Yes. Probably had a little something to do with getting people to think more about DIY, including in their backyards. I think that's true. Um, we launched um, HGTV Gardens while I was there. After a lot of research about what that new site should be, we determined that um, the back to the land in your backyard hmm. movement was, was growing so fast and was so popular that um, that's the kind of site we needed to launch. But take us back before you were part of HGTV. Were you already a backyard gardener and a backyard chicken keeper and and already into (laughs) that, or did you sort of get pulled into the cult? (laughs) Well, um, I always kind of wanted to be, um, but just never got around to doing it. It really was at HGTV when I got going. I grew up in a family that had sort of a radical back-to-the-land experience. My parents, we lived in Los Angeles, literally sold everything they owned, put us in a VW bus and drove to Washington State and bought what was going to be, the idea was they were going to be organic farmers. Wow. It was quite an adventure. And it it definitely always put the idea in my head that grow your own food was preferable. So I did um, over the years in my backyard and I've lived in a city my entire adult life. Mm -hmm. I did have a pig once for a while. I had goats at one point. While living in a city? Yes, while living in the city. My neighbors didn't complain, so the animal control people didn't come around. I think there's a difference between gardening and then homesteading in a way that has you actually including livestock, like whether it's chickens or pigs. Um, And I don't think you need any permit to dig around in your land and plant things, but where should people start if they want to get chickens or if they even wanted to try and get a pig or a goat? Well, the first thing I'll say is that any kind of backyard poultry, you you do need to check with your local um, animal control board. Uh Just call them and tell them you're interested. Different cities have very different policies regarding what you can have. Like in our city, you can have six chickens, no roosters, no other kind of poultry and no other kind of farm animals, so just mm-hmm. chickens. If you're interested in getting started as a gardener, the first thing I would tell you is don't be intimidated. The first year you have a garden, it doesn't need to look like somebody who's been doing it a long time. I mean, it may be <laughs> one raised bed, right. and you can feel good about that. Yeah. It, it may be two tomato plants, but that's you know 
that's something to feel really good about. As far as resources, I highly recommend Organic Gardening Magazine, which okay. is great. HGTV Gardens, their website is uh, fantastic. It's grown into everything that we hoped it would be. And also there's a magazine that's a little hard to find on the stands. But if you go to um, a company like Tractor Supply, you might find it. You can definitely find them online. And it's called Mar Modern Farmer. Oh. And it's a terrific magazine, beautifully designed about the modern farm movement, including backyard gardening. Less than two years ago, I moved to my first standalone house as a homeowner. And I had the luxury of they already had a raised planter bed behind a little gate even um, where they were growing, oh. like there's a sage plant that that is still there. And so last summer was the first attempt, and I planted tomatoes and basil and, and poblano, actually, poblano peppers. And, um, and this year I pretty much just did tomatoes and basil. But um, I, I never really had that much interest in gardening. But at one point I had just a plethora of tomatoes. I didn't have enough to do with them. And you do get this total sense of pride. I was surprised at myself. I didn't expect to get that like pride yep. of ownership. I mean, I totally get what you're saying. Every plant you bring to fruit, just it, it's exciting. And if you haven't ever um, experienced it before, it's kind of exciting. It's hard to explain. Another level of that is when you have enough to give away to friends or family. Yeah, that feels really great. Like when we have enough eggs or we have enough tomatoes, which we did get that and got up around tomatoes this summer. It just feels great to have enough to give out to friends and family. My brother raises bees now, and he Ooh, just wow. did the honey for this season. And he has jars and jars and jars of honey. And everybody who comes over gets a jar of honey. You know, it just it feels terrific to be able to do that. Do you think that tomatoes are an easy starter plant? Like, I was amazed. Yes. I didn't do I didn't do anything. I watered them. That's it. I didn't give them yep. food. I didn't. I mean, this year I'm actually clipping them back when there are dead little offshoots more. I didn't hardly touch right? them. And they just went crazy. It seemed to me it was like the perfect starter plant for me. Yes, I would. If you were to ask me the perfect starter plant for a, ba a newbie backyard gardener, I would definitely say tomatoes. And I would also say this is important. It's tempting to start with heirloom tomatoes, and there are <laughs> yeah. a lot of reasons why heirloom tomatoes are terrific. But honestly, for a beginner gardener, I would recommend they go with one of sort of the, the mainstream store brands like Big Boy Tomatoes, uh -huh. or just one of the tomatoes that you can get at the local garden store, rather than one of the fancier. Once you do it a year or two, it might be fun to look through the seed catalog and get something a little more fancy and difficult. But for your first year or two, stick with the, the, the types of tomato that are known to be easily grown. They're a great starter tomato. And peppers, as you mentioned, all varieties of peppers are a really great starter plant. Bell peppers, poblano peppers, you know, um, um, jalapeno peppers, they all, peppers do very well. And of course, you can cook a lot of things with tomatoes and peppers. So. Right. I actually, I got I got a little cocky in my second year here. And so I went, I, I don't know, I didn't go anywhere fancy. I like went to Home Depot to buy my tomatoes. I bought whatever they had. And um, and I saw this celery plant and I'm like, oh, I will plant that. Oh. I like celery. And then later I read, right? I read in a book that celery is very difficult and mostly advanced gardeners buy it just oh, to oh. challenge themselves. And I'm like, oh, that is not me. Anyway, it didn't go anywhere. And I ended up taking it out because it was clearly a failed experiment. So I also have some trees. I have citrus. And, and this is interesting because I had, and you probably don't get actually citrus where you're, you're in 
uh, Knoxville, right? Right. Well, I have a little citrus tree, but it has to come in the house in the summer and ah. in the winter, and it it doesn't do that well, really. Yeah. Well, so I have citrus trees. This was interesting to me. When we bought the house, um, they were not fruiting, and they did not fruit through the first winter. They needed to be pruned. I didn't even realize what they were until later. Someone was like, those look like citrus leaves. So we kind of uh, pruned the trees, and now... The lemon tree is starting to fruit and the orange tree is starting to fruit. So I think they, you know, it's it's been exciting to go through four full seasons. Uh, Of course, we have the complexity of drought. So we have um, challenges there. I was going to say one of the resources that I've used that probably, I don't know if you have an equivalent for your part of the country, but I use the Sunset Western Garden Book. It's like the Bible of this whole Western United States and all the different zones there. I've heard that it's a must-have for anybody gardening in in Nevada, California, yep. Yep. Um, but doesn't necessarily apply to, to us in, um, in a lot of ways, but I've heard it's a great resource for yeah. you guys. Yeah, it's definitely because there's so many microclimates and zones, um, so it, yep. it really it helps a lot. Um, but let, let's get to um, your chickens because oh my, yeah. this this is a thing that, I mean, I think people have gardened much more commonly uh, all through the years. But this, like regular people having chickens in their backyard, this is like, um, it almost seems like it's like should be, it started with Portlandia or something, but I know it didn't. I'm yeah, like... it does. <laughs> it, it's such a Portlandia thing to do. I, I am completely aware of that. <laughs> Um, that it should be a Portlandia episode, people in love with their chickens. But you once wrote a post that um, really kind of blew my mind. You may know I'm a vegan, so I don't actually eat eggs. And then people have asked me all the time, well, what if they were your own chickens or your friend's chickens? And I've always said, well, in that case, probably. But then you wrote a post about the reality of a chicken's egg-laying span versus their lifespan. Can you go over that a little bit about what you were hearing from other people raising chickens that made you give sure. a little tough love to chicken raising people? Well, yes. I mean, a lot people need to realize that a chicken only lays eggs for six years if you're lucky. And but a well cared for chicken's lifespan can be ten or twelve years. Wow. So you, you're going to have five to seven years when you have this chicken who is not producing any eggs. You're just having to feed her. She's also taking up space. You know, when you, you might move her out and then bring in a laying egg. The options for what to do with a chicken who is no longer laying are basically to keep her as a pet, which a lot of people do, mm-hmm. or to kill her, mm-hmm. right. which a lot of people, you know, a lot of hardcore back to the land or, you know, backyard farmers consider that a reasonable thing to do. But it's a decision that should be made long before the issue arises. The last thing you want to do is I've heard tales of people dropping their no longer laying chickens off at the animal shelter. And that's absolutely irresponsible to me. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, chickens are great when they're laying eggs. They also make great pets. So, you know, to me, having an an extra chicken around for five to seven years who's just a pet is fine. But for other people where the production of eggs is paramount, you know, that's a conversation they really need to have and they need to be willing to make some tough decisions. I grew up on a farm. And so... If an animal wasn't producing, eventually you had to kill it. You know, if there was a cow that no longer gave milk or a chicken who had gone past her prime and laying, humanely dispatching a non-laying chicken is not necessarily such a bad thing to me. 
other people who see them a lot more as pets would find that horrifying. Mm-hmm. But again, whichever mm-hmm. way you go with it, it's a it's something you have to think about because that's the deal. Chickens stop laying long before they die naturally. When people are getting their chickens, do you feel like people are well educated enough? I don't necessarily think that people know everything they're getting into when they um, adopt chickens, bring chickens home, whether it's baby chicks or adult chickens they start with. It's just not something that's, you know, nobody wants to think about something that's years away and really unpleasant. Right, Um, right. There's a learning curve when you adopt chickens, you know, um, some people don't realize that lay, that chickens don't lay very well in the winter. Um, hmm. You know, some people don't realize how much space they need. One of my biggest complaints is seeing chickens in coops that are way too small for them. Um, you know, you know, they again might need to know their local chicken ordinance so that the chicken police don't come around on them. Why do you raise chickens? Uh, why did you start, and why do you like it? I grew up with chickens, hmm. and um, I always really liked them. And then and then I visited a friend one day who had a beautiful chicken coop in the back and chickens. And I went out there and sat in the yard and watched the chickens. You know, it was dinner time. She's calling me into the house and I just want to sit out there with the chickens. <laughs> Started researching, you know, breeds and, you know, what I was interested in and what would work in our space and what kind of chicken coop we could have. And I just announced to my husband, who's very understanding, we're getting chickens and... <laughs> And we have to figure out the chicken coops. To spend some time with chickens will calm you down and chill you out better than anything else. Really? Psychologically, I think it's good for you to sit with chickens. It is for me. It's meditative. They um, will really calm you down. I wonder if they've done any studies. You know how they can tell you that, um, like, petting, purring cats or having a dog is good for your blood pressure and all of that. I wonder if they've done anything with chickens because I find that very appealing. I'll have to look, but I will tell you that everyone I know with chickens tells me that. That just spending time with the chickens, whether you're feeding and watering them or just hanging out with them, collecting eggs, every single person I know who has chickens will tell you that it it, it calms you down, that they're just a very calming creature. They're very laid back. They're pretty to look at. They're interested in you. They make wonderful noises, um, and they give you beautiful eggs, so it's kind of hard to beat that. I just, wow, that is a side benefit I was See, not aware need, of. You need chickens, Elisa. Well, that's the thing. I, well, I've had this conversation before, even on this podcast, about like if I had my own chickens that I treated like pets and they wanted to give me an egg every now and then, like couldn't I eat that egg? And I still t- sort of lean towards, I think I could. Um, I think that would be like I would have no problem with that. <laughs> so, So what do you grow right now? Well, you know, the season is wrapping up, so um, so really we don't have anything that's um, actively producing anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, although my I, I have a little fig tree I'm growing, and it's still got figs. But this year we did tomatoes, um, several kinds of peppers, sage and lavender. I'm growing out back some corn. The corn was the real experiment because you need some space for corn. So yeah. we had to, I've been gardening completely in raised beds. For this, we had to actually till up some yard and, and turn it into corn space. How'd it go? It went really well. The corn was easy. The only thing you had to watch out for, which we found out from my husband, my husband John's parents have a huge garden, huge. And they advised me to prop the corn up with something. So I got some little bamboo sticks at Tractor Supply, and I staked them with every, every corn stalk. 
that the wind didn't take the corn down mm. and the corn turned out great. It was delicious. Wow. I was going to say, it is important to keep your chickens out of your, <laughs> out of your gardening. I have netting, netting around like a stand, stand up netting around all the, because they would love to have a chicken. Chickens would love to have a piece of corn themselves. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, got it. Okay. Um, well, Katie, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Up now, we have Natasha Taylor Nichols of the blog Houseful of Nichols. Natasha is a mother of four who is also a backyard farmer, and she has lots of yummy things growing that she's been documenting online. And Natasha, I'm so glad to have you. Thank you for joining me on the show. I am so happy to be here with you all. Thank you for having me. So, First, I want to understand what is your background? I, you know, I don't remember when I first got to know you online that you were heavy into gardening. This seems like something you've been evolving into. Can you tell me a little bit about your gardening journey? Uh, sure. When I think when we met, um, I probably had just gotten over being hazed by my twins. So <laughs> gardening was not very, it wasn't at the forefront. Of, of my journey or my desires at all. I didn't want to mm-hmm. add anything extra to the plate. Um, what happened was I wanted to become more of a homesteader. Uh-huh. So it was one of those things where I started sewing and then I wanted to learn how to do knitting and crocheting and then preserving. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, I need to have a garden so that I can have fresh, fresh vegetables. And going to a farmer's market kind of ignited that a weekly farmer's market here in Chicago put a burner underneath me huh. because I don't know if, if it's true nationwide, but farmer's markets in Chicago tend to be a little bit pricey. Ah. And I figured for a lot of the staple things, I could grow at a cheaper price than what I was paying. So we started with tomatoes and cucumbers. It was a huge flop the first year huh. that I did it. And then it kind of progressed. So it went from patio to a backyard then to a community garden. Yeah. So I want to talk about that. But first, I just want to ask you, I mean, you had four kids. I do. Um, like, have you always been an overachiever who added, you know, who wanted, <laughs> who wanted to, I mean, like, it sounds like you, you make it sound like nothing. And then I sewed and then I did this and then I did that. And then I grew a garden. I mean, like, wh- what? <laughs> you seem very overachieving. The ro- the running joke is I'm a serial hobby starter hmm. and it cycles. Yeah, but the the gardening seems to be sticking and grow and sort of instead of cycling, the gardening seems to be evolving in an ever growing direction. Would you say that's true? Yes. More stuff is added every single year. So last year we had a, a plot in our in our backyard which we have to get back to actually next summer, next uh, harvest season. Uh-huh. And, you know, we kind of tried to cram every little thing that we could within that space. And we learned a lot because that was the largest amount of gardening that we did at any specific time. I had been pushing my alderman here in Chicago to let us have some land that was just kind of filling up with garbage. We started with four raised beds and it kind of grew way faster than we anticipated. So now we have corn and melons and whatever other fruit or vegetable you can think of, plus chicken. This is in the community portion? Yes, or? it is. Okay. Well, it is. Is It's more a garden for the community rather than a community garden, if that makes sense. Okay. My husband and I managed the entire thing, and we planted in every single raised bed that we built and filled. And then we invite people from the community come to come through and learn how to, you know, weed and harvest and uh-huh. recognize plants by their leaves 
in their fruit and try new and interesting things. So it's more an educational garden for the community, plus chickens. Is this in your backyard still? No, no, this is not my backyard. This is, (laughs) (laughs) there are two plots of land. So if you've ever been in a Chicago neighborhood, you know we have very long houses, uh, essentially. And it's two lengths, two house lengths that, that we have the garden on. And so you had to lobby your local politicians to, like, grant you access. The city of Chicago owns the land, ah, and okay. they, you know, they would come through during the, the summertime and mow the lawn and everything. But nobody was picking up the garbage huh. that was being thrown in there and accumulating. Um, and it, it's just an eyesore to look out, you know, on from, from my bedroom window or my living room window. And we just kind of wanted to do something. And when we were building our home. The, the idea kind of came to me, and um, I brought my husband along for the ride. Uh, he normally he normally just asks how much how much work is it going to entail, <laughs> and this one was a, a pretty hefty. It was a pretty pretty hefty project to take Sounds on. Sounds like it. So, do you find is it um, are there is there a fence? Is it gated? Is there are there hours? We originally wanted to keep it wanted to keep it fenceless because we wanted people within the neighborhood to be able to come through and walk through and kind of show off to people who were visiting. Uh And then tomatoes started disappearing. And then uh, people would come through and pick without us being there. Uh And then somebody walked off with the very first successful watermelon that I had ever grown (gasps) before in life. And uh, (laughs) I about had a fit in the middle of the street. So a fence will be going up um, actually next week. And there will be hours and, you know, people will then be signing up to work. So we have a program with the with a couple of the teenagers that live within the neighborhood who want service hours. Mm -hmm. And they were expecting to get it next summer, but they didn't realize that they're still farming and gardening and everything going on during the fall and winter to prepare for the next season. So they will be working with us to help build things and help feed chickens and keep them occupied and cleaning out the coop and all of that other stuff the entire, the rest of the year. So throughout winter and everything. When you were growing up, did your family garden? I mean, how did you learn to do all of this? Google. Google tells you everything that you need to know. Um, (laughs) That, well, honestly, it is, it was a a mixture of Google. And also um, I worked with the Illinois Farm Families Program Uh um, three years ago. Three years ago, I connected with them, and that just intensified the passion that I had for it and being able to see that very everyday families, you know, do this for a living. And, you know, they still kind of hang out, and they have lots of kids like I do, even though I still don't think four children is a whole bunch, but whatever. (laughs) And Okay, it's not the most you could have, but it's not the least. It's not. It's not. (laughs) But we come from from large families over over here, you know. Uh Uh-huh. we didn't garden growing up. We didn't okay. have the space. Right. Yeah, we didn't have the space, even though my mom always wanted to. And that yeah. was something that she stated that she missed because she grew up in Mississippi. So my granny Blackburn, her mother, whenever we would go down to visit her for the summer, you know, she had green beans growing in the backyard. She had a pecan tree. She had okra. She had tomatoes. So we would go out and help her, and it was the best thing to me. Everybody else kind of, it was one of those chores that they hated doing. But, you know, I recall treasuring, you know, that time that Mm -hmm. I was able to spend out there with her, you know, learning 
how to properly pick her beans without breaking them off and, you know, um, collecting pecans off the ground after they fail and being able to crack and shell them at the table with her. And it was just, it's something that kind of has a nostalgic value for me. And she's no longer with us. Uh, my grandmother is no longer with us. So it, mm-hmm. it's one of those things that kind of makes me feel closer to her in spirit in a way. Okay, I have a really tactical question. What what okay. happens to the chickens in the winter? I mean, Chicago has cold winters. They do, but the chickens um, will stay out there, outside. We do not bring them in. We have breeds that are very cold hardy, and you know we still check on them daily because we still have to feed them. But their feed changes during the winter time to corn-based okay. feed because corn takes a lot more energy to process, so they uh-huh. end up staying warmer from huh. the corn. Just as long as we face the coop away from where we get our normal wind, we'll, they'll be okay. So we keep a we keep a coop and then they'll be able to come out during the daytime and they won't be laying eggs at all during the winter. Okay. I won't put a light, I, I'm not gonna put a warming light in there. No. To prolong the, the, the light. Oh. So they get to take a rest also for the winter time. So that also helps conserve energy. And they, they go about their business. So we just check to make sure that their waddles or their combs, depending on where you're from, and their Mm -hmm. feet don't get frostbitten. But other than that, they take care of themselves. So you mentioned Google is super helpful, but at this point, do you have any, like, do you you get, like, the Farmer's Almanac? Do you have any go-to resources that are that you kind of keep with you or that are your uh, the websites you have um, bookmarked? Um, yeah, actually, Farmer's Almanac is a, is a really good resource, and it's actually online, so I don't have to, you know, have it. But I am probably going to end up buying a hard copy of it just because that seems like the next logical step for me to uh-huh. take because I'm fully in, you know, where we got the boots and everything that, that uh, I wear to go out and water. I just need oh. overalls now. <laughs> and then... Uh, I'm I'm connected with farmers, so if I if I have oh. tactical question or a logistics question, I have people that I can tag. In this, I've seen more bugs and and spiders, and um, I try to take photos of every you know new thing that <laughs> wow. I come across and post on my Instagram account. So we have a couple of people who are always telling me that I need to give them a warning before I post something, but uh, I. This, this Saturday, I did end up posting mating um, grasshoppers, and nobody wow. seemed too bothered by that at all. Well, uh, you know, and... that sounds hot, Natasha. <laughs> <laughs> nobody was bothered by that. But, you know, and I try to I try to throw out a fun fact with it or throw out, you know, how to prevent, you know, from yeah. doing that. Because I figure if I'm doing the research, somebody else may have that question. Um, yeah. in the future. And I, you know, I try to, I try to share what I, what I learned. I will confess that all my vegan sensibilities go out the window when it comes to insects. I really don't like them. I go out and check things at dusk or later because I just, there's fewer insects out and about when you go after the sun's, you know, not high in the sky. Mm-hmm. And, um, there. and that is my way of trying to like not deal with the fact that there are lots of insects out there. You just can't see them. That's what it is. You can't yeah. see them at dusk because they kind of stop yeah. moving a little bit. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> I, I thought I thought I had it all worked out. You're saying it's just that yeah. now they're creeping around yeah. me unbeknownst to me. That's That helps. Wow. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be okay. Just wear gloves. I know. I am I am much bigger than they are. I'm surprised you haven't gotten the tomato hornworm yet. Um, How would I know if I got um, the tomato hornworm? It's it's huge. Uh, it's massive. Yeah. Yikes. So, 
if you yeah if you haven't seen that then you you don't have them i won't get too graphic but if you ever want to you know you can always go on my instagram account and see uh-huh. one we have a couple of them okay. i'll wait till i'm <laughs> feeling strong <laughs> so um so what do you love most about this really big endeavor that you've gotten yourself into and um it's it's not it's no small feat what what do you love about it I love the aspect of knowing that so much can come from one little seed mm. and and knowing that we can we can survive off of one seed planted, you know, for an entire summer. And if we do it right and can and, and preserve, we can go throughout the, the wintertime, fall and wintertime as well. Uh, mm. There's just something very satisfying about that. I know, you know, within the jobs that we do as influencers online in the in the online space, sometimes you know, you think you have this really great writing and mm-hmm. it kind of flops and you're just like, oh, OK, well, that didn't make the impact that I thought that it would. Mm-hmm. But you plant a seed, you do everything like you're supposed to. Then you have this very great bounty. And, you know, the it doesn't matter if it's ugly or misshapen or whatever, it all still kind of tastes the same. So you get the same type of you know result from it. and It's still satisfying. And I, I think the lessons that we learn um and, and learning to take loss well. Uh, one of the mm. greatest quotes that I heard from a from a farmer was, "Farming is like playing poker. You kind of put everything all in and just put you you let, I guess, the bet ride on all of the stuff that you've done to prepare for a bounty is is going to pay off. And this year it did. Next year, mm-hmm. who knows? You know, mm-hmm. knows what'll happen. But I I like that. I like that aspect of it. But with other things, I think we, we, we become so accustomed to planning for things to always work out that when stuff doesn't happen in other mm-hmm. aspects of our life, it's way more of a larger letdown. Is, is your Instagram the best place to follow your images of what's happening in the garden? And what is your Instagram uh, handle? Yes. My Instagram handle is Natasha Nichols. And Nichols is spelled with an E, N-I-C-H-O-L-E-S. And you would look for hashtag we sow, we grow, so sowing seeds, uh, mm-hmm. S-O-W, and all of the photos that I take of the, the garden are underneath that hashtag, and it, it encompasses so much more than just the, the garden, because um, our plan is next year to start a scholarship fund for the children within the neighborhood who help out, and we want to sow seeds into our community, so when we sow seeds like this, we grow the community and we grow the neighborhood. So it's not just about, you know, the garden necessarily, but making a tighter community within uh-huh. Chicago. Because, you know, we all know Chicago isn't known for the best things right now. And I'm, I'm trying to do what little I can with the, with the little piece of earth that I have on my corner. Thank you for saying that, because I think that it's a very easy way that people deflect some of um, accountability for some of the stuff that is going on is to say, well, what about why don't people care about what's happening in Chicago? And they mean the the gun violence rates and things like that. And and I think the simple answer is people do care about that. People are doing things all the time about that that don't get a lot of press. Communities care about that. Communities are activating about that. I mean, we're, I'm totally taking this off in a different direction, but I'll I'll just close by saying communities are doing big things like protesting or going to their city council meetings or doing marches, but they're also doing things like you do, which is all about, like you said, building community and providing opportunity oh. for community. And 
Um, I think that you're sort of um, a great example that I will start adding to my um, argument bag when I'm when I'm arguing with people. <laughs> I will say, well, yeah. oh yeah, well you should know Natasha Nichols. <laughs> yeah, because that that statement right there, uh, nobody's doing anything, makes me roll my eyes so hard. I you bet. Can see all white, all white. Um, because it's not, the, it's not the sexy, it's not the sexy doing something mm. that people, mm-hmm. you know, want to see. They, they want to see you out there. Um, I, I, I don't know what they want to see, but, and it also lets me know they're not doing anything. So, right. <laughs> Cause if you Chicago and that's your argument, that means you're not doing anything either. So, right. yeah, right. it's, it's, it's what I could do and it's what I have a passion for. Um, I cannot get arrested. Uh, and I'm a passionate protester. You've got that moderate number of children. (laughs) Yes, I have, I have the children. And if I protested, I'm so passionate about it. I know that I would be in someone's jail somewhere. And, uh, yeah. So right now that's not, that's not feasible for our family, for our family at all. So this is a way, this is my protest of sorts, you know, the, the gardening and the chicken rearing. I think it's a great form of activism in its own right. Thank you, Natasha, for for joining me on Who She Knows. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Who She Knows, a She Knows Media podcast. I'm your host, Elisa Camahort-Page, Chief Community Officer of She Knows Media. Please tweet me at Elisa C or leave a message for us on either the blog her or She Knows Media Facebook page. Or now you can email us at podcast at she knows.com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. 